You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. With that, let's turn to Matthew in chapter 22. Our title this morning is Jesus Enters Jerusalem. And the question related to that is how to have faith through times of change. Let's read together Matthew 21, verse 1 through 22. Shall we stand at the reading of God's word and have a prayer? Wow, we're, we're up and down. No comments about our denomination. We are Baptist. So, Matthew 21. 1 through 22. Just listen as we read. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you will say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Wow, I think, I think that's wrong. <laughs> Is that right? All right. Um, <laughs> and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Shall we pray? and we'll sit. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much um, for your people. But Lord, right now we, we focus on you, literally you, your character, your methods, your kingdom. Your love for us, Lord. Your mercy upon us. Your care for us. Lord, we thank you that you dwell in a perfect place and you draw us to that. We're tired. We're tired of brokenness and we're tired of the effects of sin that we see all over and sadly within our own hearts. And Lord, we have hopes and dreams because in you, uh, life has purpose, life has meaning, life has something to get up for. We have We have a reason to be. You've commissioned us and you've called us. So Lord, as we go to your word, I pray 
that um, anything that I would say, Lord, that it would be blessed with your spirit, that it would be true, that it would be according to your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that it would minister to the hearts of each person listening to this message right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Again, our title is Jesus Enters Jerusalem. And the question that I'd like us to consider this morning is how to have faith in times of change. Kind of before we uh, get going here through this, um, I know we've prayed, I know we've read, I know we've stood up more than once, I'm not asking you again, but have you noticed how we can get into an empty routine? Just kind of robotically go through the motions. Some of us work at factories and we're talking about that. Sometimes you can just get in a zone where you're just kind of a machine yourself. I feel that way sometimes. That was the problem that Jesus encountered when he came into Jerusalem. People were just on autopilot and they thought it was okay. As we think about the kingdom of God, he doesn't want us and he didn't design us and he doesn't call us to just be robotically on autopilot, did he? Did he do that? Is that why you're born? Is that why you've been created? No. You're not just to be a mechanical, external mover around of things with really no purpose and someone else is just moving you around like a puppet. I mean, even if it's a tradition. You know, here I am standing up here. Here you are coming to church and giving me great attention. And there's part of me that's just like to push the tables away. Put the chairs in a circle and just look at each other and say, how you doing? Maybe you're in high school and you're saying, what's your plans? As you look at the world, what excites you? What interests you? What kind of gifts and talents do you think you've been given as a, as a young person? Do you feel enthused and interested and excited about your future? Do you feel convicted to stand? regardless of society's ups and downs. How are you doing, high schoolers, middle schoolers, young people, young adults? Maybe you're in your young 20s, early 20s. Maybe you're single. How are you doing, single people? How's it going? You kind of feel like the third wheel sometimes, odd man out, that all the world's de designed for couples. Couples, young families, how are you doing? How's your marriage? Had any fights lately? Had any challenges lately? Had any thrills that you just said, I can't believe that this spouse would live with me? Middle-aged, older, how are you doing? So the challenge that I bring to us is, can we try as much as possible to push away routine as we need it, we need routine, otherwise it's just mushy waterbed. No, no structure, it's not good. Why, why did the messages always preempt what we just talked about in the sync meeting? For some of you who are there, um, we need structure, but don't depend upon the structure alone. We need a balance between fleshy, hug, emotional meaning to life, and we need something that we can hang it on, a solid plan, a solid strategy, a solid structure, a skeleton to your body, a heart within the ribcage protected by structure, and then a warm embrace that says, these people are alive. So I pray that we can... Uh, Think about that. It's a traditional time of year, isn't it? Just think, this is Palm Sunday. All around the world, Christians of various traditions are thinking about the Passion Week, are thinking about 
uh, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and the events that led up to the sound of the spikes banging into the beam. Bang, bang, bang. Can we let the reality of these traditions affect us? And rejoice in the fact that Christianity is, is doing just fine. That God's church is doing just fine. And people are rejoicing world, worldwide this day around the best, day in his, the best week in history. Jesus enters Jerusalem. The best thing for our souls is to quit thinking about our souls and start thinking about the one and only that when he comes to town, you know the old, say, uh, uh, the old song by B.B. King and you two, when love comes to town, he's going to stir things up. When love comes to town, well, love is coming to town. Maybe in noun form, Eileen. What happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem? And in a strange twist at the end of our passage, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, now I want to talk about you. So as we think about how amazing God's love is, know this, everything's about God, but God is about you. He's about his glory. He's about his holiness. And amazingly, his holiness includes, I love you perfectly. My love for you is holy. The feelings that I have for my people are glorious. That's the nature and character of the Jesus that's coming into town. There are scores of topics packed into this passage, and each one could have an hour message on them. And I'm going to lie right now. I'm going to pick three, but actually there's two each, so actually it's six. So we have three points with two each. And um, our question that we're wrestling is, is how do we have faith in times of change? So as we think about this, think about number one, cleansing and healing. That's two. Uh, number two, praising and resting. That's four. And number three, cursing and believing. Out of the uh, scores of topics and options and ways that we could go out of this passage, let's just pick out these three or six and see what we can learn from it. How is your faith? You ever notice that it's easy to proclaim God when everything's easy? Things are going smoothly? And uh, suddenly, uh, maybe you look around at society and the things that you assumed would always be are changing. And suddenly you feel maybe anger rise up in your heart or disbelief come in your heart or maybe you're jealous of something. Things in society, when, when societal change comes, how's your faith going? What about personally? Boy, we can proclaim the Lord's goodness and then I lose my job. Oh God, why would you allow such painful things to come to me? That's horrible. Painful things happen to us. But have you ever experienced times where you're going like, I remember the days when I had such strong faith and then it just seems like everything went sideways and I'm just wondering, where's my God? Yeah, have you had those experiences? Maybe you're in one right now. You know what they say about trouble? If you're not uh, in it now, get ready. Trouble was... Or trouble is, or trouble is coming. That's the nature of living in a broken world as broken people. And God says, trust in me. There's power in faith. And our message at the end is going to say, it's powerful enough to move mountains. Is your faith powerful enough to move mountains? So let's be thinking about that as we, uh, as we go through our passage. Number one, cleansing and healing I just want to read through the first, I want to go through the first 14 verses for our first section here on cleansing and healing and comment as we go. And um, 
And we'll do that three times and then conclude. So it says, as we read, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth, some say phage, or I grew up saying Beth Fiji, um, that means the house of young figs. This is filled with symbolic and prophetic meaning. Promises are being kept. Prophecies are being fulfilled. Uh, illustrations from the Old Testament are all coming into place as Jesus, kind of like the Terminator, is just coming in like this peasant undercover, but inside he's just going like fulfilled, done on purpose, step by step. He goes systematically through this week with absolute purpose. And he comes into the city to the Mount of Olives, this, these references to fruitfulness, these references to abundance. And then Jesus sent two of his disciples. This is his kingdom. And he sends two of his servants to go as servants of the king and says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a what? A donkey. So the picture is this. It's a time of great celebration in Jerusalem. People from, from, uh, have traveled for, for days to come to the great annual celebration that's in Jerusalem. And it's just teeming with people. And as Jesus comes in, he's saying, this is what tradition calls the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He's coming in as a victorious king. And how do victorious kings come into um, their place of celebration after they've fought the war well usually this white or black or this amazing horse that's prancing and walking through with amazing fanfare and banners and trumpets and jesus says no i'm going to choose a donkey <laughs> a humble beast of burden strange kingdom and a cult Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And can I just say this weird thing? Guess what the Lord needed that day? The Lord chose to obligate himself to a donkey. Are you encouraged by that? I've had a day where, you know, I said some things yesterday where I felt like, well, that was a donkey thing to say. You know that the Lord uses donkeys? to represent his entry into his victorious city and they will send them at once and this took place randomly no laser boom to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet of saying prophet saying say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey the colt the foal of a beast of burden Guys, this is a strange kingdom. There's something in each one of you that does not like this strange kingdom. It's our flesh. It's our broken sin nature. We want things to be done right. We want things to be done with strength. We want things to be done in ways that will just squish and conquer anybody that comes against us. Have you ever had someone say something to you where you go like, I wish I would have thought of this to say back because that would have really got them. That's how human beings are. We like to use strength. We like to use gotchas. We like to use military force. And obviously there's a place for civil government. And uh, criminals should be punished. And uh, there should be policies and regulations to, to keep peace in society. But this is a strange kingdom. And can I be frank about America? We have a history of, uh, of blending the civil and the spiritual that sometimes is good, but sometimes it can be very dangerous and idolatrous. I pray that God's principles and God's ways would influence our government. But the president is not our pastor and the country's not our church. Yes? Amen. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said on this topic as he, as he uh, talked about this strange kingdom and how the church relates with civil government. He says, oh, strange kingdom without an army. Most strange king who wears no sword. 
but rides along in the midst of his people, conquering and to conquer. If you've ever been to a military parade and they just have like the, uh, the half-track tanks that are going down the street and you have all the equipment and you can see the giant um, guns and, and uh, all, the, all the soldiers driving along and we think, wow, that's force, that's power, that's domination. We're going to win. And Jesus is over here as our peasant God. Riding on a little mule, a little donkey, a, a, a colt of a donkey, clippity clop, clippity clop. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon says, Look at him conquering and to conquer. It's a strange, strange kingdom. Spurgeon goes on to say, um, The soldiers are worthless to the kingdom. He says, If the kings of the earth would, uh, should say to the ministers of Christ, We will lend you our soldiers. Now, Pastors, I think, sometimes wouldn't mind having a, 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 a what, do, what do you call the group of soldiers? Troop? An armada. Uh, an armada. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we could have, um, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, deacons are nice, but soldiers are better, right? Um, Spurgeon says, we will lend you our soldiers. Our reply would be that we, uh, what can we do with them? As soldiers, they are worthless to us. And we think, obviously, we know this. Do we? Is there something lurking down in your heart that says, I wish I could use the ways of the world to further uh, my life and my walk of faith? I've struggled with this this week. Again, maybe you have drama in your extended family. Maybe you have conflict at work. Maybe you have a decision as a businessman of saying, where do I really draw the line on being ethical and not? The faith of businessmen astounds me. It's such a different category of faith because sometimes decisions can cost tens of thousands of dollars and you're going like, what do I do? That's real faith. I want to say, can I just fudge a little? Can I just hit back once? Can I just say something that'll be a gotcha and, uh, and they'll just bow to my agenda and say, oh, we were so wrong and Donnie, you were so right all along. Please forgive me. That kind of stuff goes through my head sometimes. Final part of this quote by Spurgeon says, the church that asks the civil arm to help it, that means the church that wants government to help our agenda, or even the attitude that we need physical force to, uh, to move forward God's spiritual kingdom. That church would make her Sabbaths binding on the people by force of law. That church which would have her dogmas proclaimed to the beat of a drum. That church who would make its fist and the sword become her weapons knoweth not what spirit she is of. These are carnal weapons. They are out of place in a spiritual kingdom. And I remind us, clippity-clop, here comes our king conquering and to conquer. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. And they think that at this entry that there was uh, approximately 3,000 people probably gathered around Jesus as he came through. And like any royalty, um, they took off their cloaks and they put them in front. Have you ever seen, maybe on a movie, I don't, can't imagine doing it, but if there's a mud puddle, so you take off your suit coat and throw it in the mud so the person can walk across. Well, it's symbolic. This is an important person. This is a person of honor. This is a person of even royalty. Palms uh, reflect a royal presence. Uh, it doesn't say palms right here, but in the book of John, it says that they took palm branches and laid them before the king. But I was reading one commentator that says, what kind of cloaks were they? 
What kind of people were crowding around Jesus right now? Well, we know there is fishermen. So I don't know how often Peter washed his clothes. They might have smelled a fish. Um, as the peasants and the, the people that were not of the ruling class gathered around him, they took off what they had, tattered, torn, dirty. They didn't have washing machines and electricity back then. And Jesus walked across the grimy garments of the lower class, rode across in his donkey. And the world would laugh, and the world would scoff, and we would say, underneath it and behind the scenes, a spiritual kingdom is being ushered in the most important week in history. And they started singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, Hosanna to the highest. Now Jesus was coming in and just before in the passage in I think Matthew 21, he said, now guys, the 12, he said, guys, this is what we're about ready to do. We're going into Jerusalem and three things are going to be happened. I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be flogged, and I'm going to be crucified. Are you ready? And it's James and John's mom. It's like she didn't hear a thing. She said, well, could, uh, could uh, my son sit beside you in the kingdom? And he says, woman, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm getting ready to be baptized with? Now, we think baptism is splash and dunk. He's talking about the baptism of suffering, the baptism of mocking, the baptism of, of, of being whipped, and the baptism of being crucified. Have you tasted this strange kingdom in your walk of faith, church? Have you tasted a bit of that baptism? where you stood up and you said, I want to be a Christian, I believe. I'm giving my life, I surrender all. And then you meet with family members or people at work or friends, and things don't go quite as easy as you had planned. Marriage suddenly has conflict that it didn't have before. Uh, challenges with children that you didn't have before. Uh, struggles with your boss that you didn't have before. Because God is saying, I want you to walk with great faith. Watch me. Praise God, he's not just our example. He's our substitute. Can't help but think that as Jesus, knowing all things, heard Hosanna to the highest, he, didn't rem he, didn't he couldn't help but realize in just a few days, all the crowds are going to be saying is crucify him, crucify him. The crowds often are fickle. And what starts out with great pomp and circumstance in a parade often ends with great sacrifice. This is the, this is the strange king uh, marching in, the, uh, ushering in his strange kingdom. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Can you imagine? Hundreds of thousands of people are all stirred up. Jesus, you know, Jesus's ministry had been uh, many times, he would come secretly into place. People says, we want to make you a king. And he would disappear into the crowd. Well, things had changed and the time had come and Jesus is coming in and it's not secret. It's public. And the whole city is stirred up. Who is this prophet? They said, it is the prophet from Nazareth. It is the one that we've heard about. And Jesus was also very careful that, that when he did his um, miracles, oftentimes, uh, he did them very carefully in a way that the, that the Pharisees and the leaders never saw them. Well, he's doing it all out in public now. He's laying it all out. And we're going to see that the, uh, the depiction that we have of Jesus in a lot of our pictures and artists as this mild shepherd with a little fluffy lamb and a, and a kind of a no, looks like he's not thinking about anything, just kind of staring off into space. This is not, this is not the Jesus that uh, riding on this donkey. Things are about ready to change. This is what happens. This is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He came in to cleanse. He came in to purify. He hates hypocritic, hypocritical 
professions of faith. Maybe I'm a little bit stirred up this morning about this specific topic. Is because uh, there's a special grief that we as Christians have when we see a, uh, a well-known ministry fall and fail, isn't there? When we see that which has proclaimed the truth of Christ all along or through the years um, has not truthfully followed um, ways that honor Christ. And God comes in and says, I'm ushering in a kingdom that will purify, that will cleanse. We'll no longer have a transactional relationship with God. That's the old covenant. That's the law. Do this, receive a blessing. Do this, receive a blessing. But the new covenant says, receive a blessing and do that. It's no longer works, it's grace. And Jesus came in and says, the old ways are over. And he cleanses the temple and he throws over the tables of the money changers. And then what does he do in this crazy act of revolution? You know, these guys are like, they didn't even hear him say, I'm going to be crucified. And they're following along and they're like looking around. And uh, suddenly, we might get in trouble here. Jesus becomes a revolutionary. And Jesus starts doing things that uh, involves risk. And the disciples start getting nervous. He said, my house is to be called a house of prayer. Church, we are called to be a house of prayer. We can get busy with ministry plans. We can get busy with all sorts of ideas of church growth or personal walk with the Lord or even reading our Bibles. But God says this is to be a house of prayer. It's a place where we go. Prayer, prayer is like almost nothing else. Prayer involves faith incredibly because there's almost nothing tangible related to it. Study the Bible, give a sermon. Earn some money, give it away to the poor. Build a business of faith on, on God's principles. But prayer, he says, go into your closet and close the door. And the Father that sees in secret will reward you openly. Oh, well, church, may we be known, if only in God's eyes, as a house of prayer. May we be, as we listen to the purging and the cleansing that Jesus is doing to the house of that day, let it examine us and say, where do we stand? What part of the crowd are we part of? What are we crying out and how honest is it? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. <laughs> Behold your strange king doing his strange kingdom works where he comes in and he says, I'm going to do something revolutionary and I'm going to purge the temple and I'm going to do something supernatural and cause the, the lame to be able to walk. There's power in this king. There's power on this one that's on the donkey. There's power that those with bullets and guns and pomp and circumstances know nothing about. Does it bother your flesh to see that your king comes in on weakness? Taking the position of a peasant? Sitting on a little stinky beast of burden? We go to the next point when we see that the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And so we see when the king comes in, the young explode in praise. The innocent give glory to God. The simple and the naive and the sweet ones, they can't just hold themselves back. They say, Hosanna, glory to God, the son of David, glory to him in the highest. God wants his church to be a church of great praise. And there were the leaders that said, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. And again, with his laser strike, he goes, yes. And he talks to those that are the intellectuals and the academic and those with all the doctor degrees. And he says, uh, have you never read Uh, yeah, yeah, we've read. See my resume? Well, if you've read, why don't you know this verse? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. 
He's quoting from, a, from, from Psalm 8-2, and he actually translates it in his, uh, in his perfect way. Psalm 8-2 actually says this, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy. So we've got this humble peasant God riding on a beast of burden, and we've got little kids and little babies that are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, and he's going, that's what stops the enemy. I don't like to trip and fall, it hurts. But if you drop a baby, that's a problem. They're weak. God says, I use babies instead of bullets. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, I've perfected praise. And that's what stops the enemy. It's humbling, church. It's humiliating to our pride. And the leaders didn't like it. And you realize that they're calling you God? And he says, yeah, haven't you ever read? <laughs> no more, uh, no more uh, sliding out and, and, and sneaking away. Jesus is saying, you got it. In so many words, yeah, yeah, let him praise. He says, out of the may, mouth of, of infants and nursing babies, you have perfected praise, and leaving them, he went out of the city and lodged there. So this strange kingdom involves cleansing. This strange kingdom involves uh, praising. This strange kingdom involves healing. And now we see in the middle of this crazy chaos, the parade and the controversy and the revolutionary actions and the accusations from the enemies, suddenly we see peace. And he somehow sneaks out of the city and he goes over to the city of Bethany and went to sleep and spent the night. Bethany means house of figs, special fruitfulness. And Jesus goes to sleep, this strange king, as he sparks this revolution. How do you spark a revolution? How do revolutions get started? I'm teaching the American Revolution right now to our, our class at Grand Island Public Schools, and uh, some of the incidents in our own American Revolution are, are fun to teach. Uh, Boston, the northern part of the colonies, was much more radical than the, the southern plantations down in Virginia and, and the Carolinas. And uh, the one incident called the Boston Massacre, if you remember from school days, the Boston Massacre in the 1700s is actually March 5th of 1770. They had the redcoats that were being paid for by the colonists, which was making them mad. No taxation without representation, that's what they were doing. And they didn't choose this, and redcoats are, are guarding the city, and the people come out to protest and say, get out of here, we hate you redcoats, and they, it's wintertime, so they start throwing snowballs at the soldiers, and then sticks, and then rocks. Soldiers had guns, they pulled the trigger, and people were killed. These are the shots heard around the world that sparked our revolution, and I'm really thankful for the sacrifices that uh, were made that founded this amazing country on a civil level. On a spiritual level, it's totally different. Um, Jesus, rather than uh, sparking a revolution through these skirmishes or these random events, including snowballs and bullets, Jesus said, um, part of our uh, insurrection is, let's sneak out of town and go to sleep. Let's go to a house of fruitfulness and let's, uh, let's take some rest. And finally, we go to number three. In the morning, as he, after he rested, he returned to the city and he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went out and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come to you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Wow. This bipolar guy, right? Sleeping at the house of figs and uh, now cursing a fig tree. What's going on, Jesus? What do you got against this tree? Jeremiah uh, chapter 8, verse 13, for example, says, I would gather them. Oftentimes Israel's called a fig tree. Israel's supposed to be not an oak tree or a pine tree. It's to be a fruit tree. Its whole design and purpose is to bring forth fruit. And it wouldn't, and it didn't. 
And the old prophet said, I would gather them, declares the Lord, but there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. And so in this symbolic and somewhat prophetic move, he goes up and sees a fig tree with no figs, and he says, curse you, fig tree, and it withered. How's your fruit on your tree? How's the fruit of this church? He says, may no fruit ever come to you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree withered at once? And then we go into this crazy last point about believing. Jesus cursed the fruit tree that had no fruit. You remember when the, the ministry started with John the Baptist and Jesus? And he says, you shall know them by their fruits. And if there is no fruit, the axe is laid to the root of the tree and we will root it out. And here he is at the end of the ministry and said, see, I told you there's no fruit on the fruit trees. It's time to make change. Curse you. Okay, our souls need to quit thinking about our souls. Our souls need to just bask in the strange king and his strange kingdom. And it seems like as we get our minds off of, of ourselves and our own problems, we think, God, how amazingly strange and powerful and great you are. And then he turns and says, no, let's talk about you. He said, and Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even I say to you to this mount, say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. It will happen. What is he saying? I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you have a loved one that's sick in the hospital, uh, it's th that's because they don't have enough faith. He's not saying that. And a lot of people have taken verses like these to make it mean that. Another thing he's not saying is that anything that you want, you can just name it and claim it. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, guys, there's the gift of faith that you receive from me. And your walk of sanctification can make that grow. And I want it to grow. There's passages in the Bible that say, oh, ye of little faith. And then there's the prayer that the disciples pray, say, oh, Lord, increase our faith. See, Jesus' uh, preaching is a lot more extreme than mine is. He's a lot more glorious and a lot more cutting and shoots you right between the eyes. He says, guys, you see this amazing revolutionary thing I'm doing today? I want to talk about you. Where's your faith? Because you may be amazed at what I'm doing and you're thinking, how did this happen to the tree? I'm saying, you can do it too. Church, you can do it too. What is it? And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Well, Christians, if you are truly believers, you do have faith. But the context right here is saying, use it. Faith without works is dead faith. Use the faith that you've been given and help it grow. And with faith comes power. Now, they're on a mountain city. Jerusalem is on a mountain. And so he refers to it. You can even move this mountain and throw it into the depths. Literally, that happened 40 years after Jesus died. Uh, the Romans came and totally destroyed this, the, the mountain city. But what about you? Faith is a strange thing. Uh, theologians say it's unique among the graces. Love is interesting. Hope is something. But faith seems inside out. So in conclusion, I'd like to share this. I thought that was a key term for the band to come up. When I say in conclusion, they come up. Is that not how it works? I... Okay, just a cue. All right. As a way of confession, uh, I have ADD, slight ADD, and whenever they start playing the piano or the guitar, I, I can barely hold my train of thought. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a piano playing. That's Steph. I wonder how Steph's doing. Steph probably had a good week. Boy, Bryce and Steph. That's how my squirrel brain goes. 
Yeah, squirrel. Whoa, whoa. And, uh, and then Patrick's doing the finger roll with his thing. Man, he's pretty good with the picking the fingers. That's... So if he starts playing right now, just, just pray that I'll focus. In conclusion. In conclusion. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dramatic effect. Wow. I wouldn't have been emotionally involved until I heard the music. It was amazing. Can I say something? Faith is a work that's not a work. John 6, 29 says, this is the work of God that you believe. See, faith is different. Faith is something you do that stops your doing. Faith that doesn't doubt. Jesus said, if you have faith and do not doubt. I'm like, well, that cancels me. He's talking to the disciples and the disciples just a few days later all scattered. So guess no withering fig trees for them. No moving mountains for them because they doubt it. But listen to the inherent definition and reality of what faith is. Faith is, says, faith that doesn't doubt admits, I doubt all the time. See, only people without faith say we don't doubt. But people with faith say, Lord, I doubt all the time. Faith stops trusting in my ability to perform, and he praises the performance of our peasant God. This face thinks of the one riding in humility into the capital city of peace. Faith proclaims only one never doubted. Faith proclaims only one never wavered. Faith proclaims only one never failed. That is a faith to move mountains. You have mountains in your life that need to be moved. Mountains of pride. Faith can move it. Mountains of regret. Faith can destroy it and throw it in the depths of the sea. Faith destroys the mountain of self-promotion and self-preservation and self-righteousness. And church, if you hear anything, hear this. Let Jesus enter your Jerusalem, your city of peace. All the literal things of the Old Testament point to, to the church and to the individuals in it and to our hearts. Let Jesus enter your Jerusalem. Let Jesus enter your city of peace. Let him turn over your tables. Your tables of a transactional relationship with God. A works-based, a ditch that we slide into. And climb by faith back into grace. Let him heal your blind assumptions. Let him heal your lame excuses. Let this revolutionary stir your heart to praise like the children did in his day. Let this revolutionary lead you into rest in a house of fruitfulness. Let him overthrow the government of your heart. And you are promised that he will bring fruit into your life. And you will never be cursed, but only blessed. Because faith doesn't look at you. Faith looks at him. I think that's the gospel. God bless you. Another illustration that comes from the word of God is the communion service. Or the literal points to something spiritual. So we invite all of us that are part of this movement, this revolutionary kingdom, proclaiming Hosanna to the Son of David, to express it on this Palm Sunday by taking the bread which represents his body, his, his life, and how it was broken, and this juice, his blood, how it was shed, not as an example, as a substitute. Not to show you how 
could do what he did. Remind us, he did what we never could. That's faith that never doubts. Faith that admits that. Says, I trust in the body of another, and I trust in the death of another, and we get to enjoy the life of another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for this amazing week in history. Uh, I thank you for your church all around the world. Lord, we have brothers and sisters by the, by the millions that we will meet one day. We love to see them now, but it's good to know. The gates of hell do not prevail against your church, so whether it's some little home church in the jungle of Africa, or it's some high church in a European city, whether it's a church plant on the plains of Nebraska, you are our Father. We come together as children, and we all sing Hosanna in the highest Hosanna to the Son of David. Thank you for dying. Thank you for, for living the perfect life. Thank you for taking the mocking. Thank you for taking the whipping. And thank you for being crucified for us. Thank you for submitting to every every covenant agreement that you had with the Father from before the world began. Say, I will fulfill all prophecy. I will complete all promises. I will do what needs to be done to save your people. Lord, I pray for anyone right now that is, uh, has been considering becoming a Christian and may be in this room and is really not sure and may be convinced, no, I, I I think about this mentally. I, I can see that that's factual and historical. But it hasn't taken the step of faith. And hasn't invited you to come and, and just flip the tables. And heal our hearts. And bring praise and rest like we've never known. To bring blessing, to bring an ability to have the power to call truth, truth, and if cursing is needed, to say, that's not right. To give strength and purpose and courage, Lord, in a time where, where we're just um, overwhelmed sometimes with just listlessness and, and lack of direction, you come in and give us a strange kingdom. I pray if there is one or more in this room, um, that you would grant that gift of faith right now. And if personally they feel convicted and convinced, it's done. If they want to express that to any person in this church, pray together, uh, that would be wonderful. Today could be the first day of communing with this worldwide revolutionary family. We love you, Lord, and thank you in your name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.